0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Oh, man. I just, I just agree with Crystal. I'm just really moved by uh, what's happening in this body and just the worship and love for Jesus in this house. It's... um. It's such a privilege to be a part of it and see what the Lord's doing. Like I'm, I'm just overwhelmed when I think about that we're right in the center of Mastic Beach. And there's all these, yeah, in a tent, and there's all these lovers of Jesus in here. And it's just so beautiful. And uh, even today, when we just unpack the power of, of worship and what we're doing, it's just so incredible that what's happening in here is spilling out over into this city, into this community. I really believe, um, we've been talking about ministry to the Lord, and I really believe we, we minister to God this morning. Like I really believe we touched the heart of the Lord, and um, how many of you have been with us the last few weeks or at all? A number of people. Yeah, we've been um, we've been talking for the last three weeks about man. These speakers are much bigger. I can like barely see anyone over there. I just trust you're out there by faith. I know you're out there. <laughs> um, but we've been talking about the last few weeks uh, ministry to the Lord. And, and this is a journey that we've been on. It's something I've been aware of, but over really since COVID, it's been a, a beautiful reset that our body has gone through where God has really taken us to, to, to put language and to actually put action into what it means to be a, a church that first ministers to the Lord. And a lot of ministry is geared towards man. And we love ministry to man. Like we love ministry to man. I, God's calling me to preach. We're ministering to man right now. Uh, but our first ministry is actually to the Lord, and it's rooted in the fact that every person in the new covenant is a priest. And so we've been talking about how ministry to the Lord, it's our highest calling, it's our eternal calling, like eventually pastoring will end, and just in my example, but one thing I will do is I will always draw near to God and walk with Him and bless His heart. And so we're beginning to give, what we're doing is we're building in alignment with our eternal calling. We're giving the earth a preview of where it's all going, right? Right? So ministry to the Lord, I just want to, because I see some new faces, and then we'll we'll jump in. But ministry to the Lord, when Jesus went into uh, Matthew 21, into the temple, his final week, the Passion Week, Jesus had said, he cleansed out the temple, he drove out money changers and business, and then he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And we've been on a journey of really saying, okay, we know what he drove out, but what would it look like to be a house of prayer? Like, what was he expecting to find? And, and, and so one of the things that's really been helpful is actually going back to Isaiah 56, which is what Jesus was quoting. And when he quoted that, it was, it was a scripture that came. Isaiah 56 is in the context of coming after Isaiah 53, which is the suffering servant, which is Jesus. So there would be this righteous man, Christ, who would come to the earth, and the, the sins of humanity would be heaped on him, and he would put it to death in his body. And as a result, Isaiah says, here's the blessings that will flow from that. And chapter 54, 55, 56 is all of the rewards, the blessings of this suffering servant. And chapter 56, he declares one of the great realities of the suffering servant is that God's house will be open to all people. It will be open to what it says is the foreigner. In other words, to the Gentile. Not just to the Jew now, to the Gentile. All of humanity, those who were once outsiders to the things of God, to the promises of God, can now be brought in. And as a result, as we get to be brought near before God, we're not just opened up to on a lesser level. We're actually able, it says, to draw near, to join ourselves to the Lord, and to minister to him. It's all priestly language. And so at the heart of the house of prayer is that we get to minister to God first and foremost. It's our privilege. So ministry to the Lord, right? Coming in what we did, which, again, we've been talking about it for a number of weeks now, but to come in and and to worship the way we did and to say, God, this is for you, when we come in and minister to God, we are giving him the reward of his suffering. Isaiah 53, right, chapter 56 comes after the suffering. We are returning and saying, God, this is what you died for. I am going to give you my heart, Lord. I am going to bless you. Like, we are responding. When we minister to God, we're responding to his zeal to be one with his bride. That's what he's after. It's where it started in the garden. It's what we lost, and Jesus reinstated it. So when we talk about ministry, God, we're saying, Lord, we're here first to establish a place to meet your need. Like, I'm convicted over how consumeristic and people-oriented church has become. And again, we love to meet the needs of man, and we should expect those things to happen. But our first priority is, God, did we bless you? Did our music move you? Did what was, what was spoken today is what you told us to speak today? Like, we are not just, you know, we are not a seeker-friendly church. <laughs> you like, you think? There's, Joe Johnson said there's more flags in here than the UN. <laughs> we're not a seeker-friendly church. But listen, we're also not a religious-friendly church. I want to be clear on what that means. Does that mean we don't want the lost to come in? No, not, not at all. I actually believe that what we're doing is what the lost desire, to really see Jesus. When we say that we're not seeker-friendly, what I mean is the leadership here, we don't establish services or in the prayer room. Our primary purpose for gathering is not, how can we make this most appealing to man? How can we make this most comfortable for man? We actually say, how can we host the presence of God well? Because if Jesus comes, like, really, I know he lives in us, but I'm talking about, like, manifest his glory. Where people are seeing that I trust every other need will be supernaturally met. I trust the lost will actually find what they're looking for. I trust that I don't have to now try to keep them, but actually they're in the hands of Jesus because they've seen him and they're forever changed. So we're establishing a house that first comes in to meet his need. And the house of prayer, like gathering, as Crystal said, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, is really just building in this rhythm of how to minister to God. And so um, that's just like the short summary of where we've been the last few weeks. We're going we're gonna to make a transition today, though, because we've been talking a lot about, like, what is ministry to the Lord, like what I just said. But today we're going to really talk about how we minister to the Lord. Like how I know I've mentioned before is we're priests, right? And we said this last week. As new covenant priests, we don't offer up in this covenant, we don't offer up animal sacrifices, we don't burn incense, but scripturally what you find is that actually those were always types and shadows for what we would do today as priests in this covenant under Jesus, and that the sacrifices we offer are with our lips and our lives. We actually bless them in worship and intercession, and so we're going to go on a journey the next few weeks of really growing in how to draw near to God and really minister and bless his heart, Okay. Because it's not like when we go into that prayer room, and by the way, what we do here is really, it's not meant to be any different. The only difference is there's a more of a formal teaching. Other than that, the whole idea is we're coming in for him first. And when we draw near to God, like we're not just sitting in a room with our eyes closed, trying our best to keep our minds from wandering off of Jesus. (laughs) That is not ministry to the Lord. I mean, there's parts where we actually, we're in stillness, and I get that. But when you minister, like if I were to minister to Crystal... There is something to be said for me just sitting next to her quietly. Like, that can bless her to just be with her. But usually you're doing something, right? So when we come in to minister to Jesus, we're actually giving something to him. We're actually, like, giving him our heart, our, our lips. And as we see in the scriptures, it's worship, prayer, all right? So let's, um, let's go to First Chronicles chapter 16. If you would, First Chronicles chapter 16. And and however you can, I would really encourage you to just track along. First Chronicles sixteen. This is so so important for us growing in unity and clarity on what we're doing. So again, we're transitioning. We've set the stage. Like, what is ministry, Lord? Now we're going to really talk about how do we do this? How do we actually practically like grow as students of the presence of the Lord? And I think one of the best places to learn what it means to minister to God is to actually study the life of David, and specifically what David established, which is the tabernacle of David. Now, it's beyond our scope to go through this fully. We actually taught it last summer, so you can go back and listen to that on the the podcast. But but I'm just going to briefly highlight this, because I want you to see something. Even though it's in the Old Covenant, there are certain things that happen in the Old Covenant that are actually dripping with New Covenant realities, there are actually these like anomalies that even though they're they're in the in the former covenant, they actually give a window and a preview as to what God always desired it for it to look like, yes? And David's tabernacle is one of those things of what God always intended for his house to be ministers to him, what it would look like for us as priests. So it's really important because David, I just want to say this, I'll just give you the cliff notes and then we'll read this. David, David is the quintessential leader outside of Jesus, like David is set apart. He's the gold standard of leadership. If you read through the book of Kings or Chronicles, most of the kings are are said, did they walk in the ways of David or not? Jesus himself is said to be the son of David. Jesus sits on the throne of David. It's not that David is greater, he's a broken man, but God was doing something in the heart of David that ultimately Jesus would come and fulfill. And it would be wise of us to study what made David's life so attractive to God. And what you find... There's a lot of great things in his battles with Goliath and his faith, but what you find is that David had a relentless pursuit for God himself. David was a man of the presence. David was a one thing man, Psalm 27, 4, where he says, There's one thing I long for, one thing I seek, to dwell in the temple all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of, of the Lord. And more than anything, it's is what David wanted. David was declared to be a man after God's own heart. And God said that well before David was king. He actually said, Samuel, I've already selected one who's after my heart. Which means David, before he had a following, before he had influence, before he had power, God's eye was on David because David, as he was tending to the sheep, was ministering to God on a mountain. And he was moving the heart of the lamb. And God saw him. And eventually, God would raise David up to a place where he would actually lead Israel into what he'd been doing since he was a young boy. Which is to minister to God. And so the Lord David came into leadership after Saul. Saul, Israel was in, like, shambles. The, the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of God's presence, during the leadership of Saul, it was put in a barn. Like, people, he was leading from, like, his own strength. God was a side issue. David comes in in 1 Chronicles 13 and says this. First thing we're going to do is we're going to get the Ark, and we're going to put it right back at the center of this nation. He says, we're going to get the presence of God right back in the center. He says, and we're all going to pursue it together. And so David does this, and what he does is the Lord leads him to basically take the ark and put it on a mountain called Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and he puts a tent over it. This mountain became so blessed that it's literally synonymous in the scriptures for God's resting place. The church is called the spiritual Zion. What David established on this is is unbelievable, and it's so different than every other tabernacle and temple. Okay, Most of us, when we hear Old Testament temples, we're thinking of like Moses and Solomon. And what they did is they had, uh, they were instructed to basically have an outer courts, a holy place, and then the holy of holies, right? And there was an Ark of the Covenant, very restrictive. Only the high priest could go in on on the Day of Atonement, not David. The Lord led David to put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of a tent, and there was no veil at all. All of the priests were actually able to come around it morning and night, 24-7 the priest could come around and minister to God. Why did David, David do this? Was he breaking the law? No, the Spirit of God was compelling him to give the earth a preview of what would happen when the Messiah would come and tear the veil. He did it for 33 years, he established this, which is the lifetime of Jesus. It's all so prophetic for what Jesus would come and do. And so for 33 years, he hires 10,000 employees, 4,000 singers, 288 uh, musicians, and 4,000 gatekeepers. And these 10,000 employees take shifts. And for 33 years, it says morning and night, the priests came around the ark, which is the presence of God, and they ministered to the heart of God. Animal sacrifices did not happen during this 33-year span. It was sacrifices with lips. They praised God. They blessed God. And as a result, the nation of Israel under David, like, it was like God like, just breathe on it. They had revival from David. They had victory over enemies. Because of what was happening in this small little tent, I believe, like, I just think so many things are funny. Like, the Lord has called us in this place, and it's just bring us into alignment with this vision. But what happened in this small little tent, it spilled out. 70% of David's psalms are written in the tent. Like, most of the songs we sing from those psalms were birthed from this place. Seven Old Testament revivals. We talk about this a lot, but there's seven Old Testament revivals. Every single revival in the Old Testament has one thing in common. God would raise up a reformer when Israel was going wayward, and the reformer would say, we must go back to what David did. And they would restore what's called Davidic worship, meaning the priests would go back to worshiping and interceding as they did the days of David. And guess what happened? Israel began to flourish again. Israel began to prosper again. And Amos 9.11 says that God is restoring the tabernacle of David, not in a literal sense, but the spirit of it. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, when uh, the Jerusalem council is happening, and they're trying to figure out how should Gentiles be brought into the faith. It was James who stood up and quotes uh, um, Amos 9-11 saying, this is what God prophesied, the restoration of David's tabernacle, that all men would be able to come and draw near to God and minister to him. So look at, I, I just wanted you to hear that. Look at verse, or chapter 16, verse 1. And we can really move into this now. This is when David first establishes this tent And verse 1 says, and they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Here's where they established it on Mount Zion. Puts the ark in the middle. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And David goes on to say how he blesses the people and they are released. But then in verse 4, I want you to see what it says. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord. So, David established priests who would be ministers before the ark, which the ark is what Jesus is for us today. It is the presence of God. And he says, You're going to minister to God 24 7. They set up these shifts again for unceasing for 33 years. And how would they minister before the Lord? It says they would do it by to invoke, which means to bless, to celebrate, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. So, how did they minister to God? How did they worship God? David set these guys up to offer up thanksgiving and praise continually in this house. Thanksgiving and praise are these two dominant prongs of worship. And this week and next week, that's what we're going to unpack. We're going to unpack Thanksgiving today, and then next week we're going to look at praise. And we're going to really grow in what it means to be ministers to the Lord, yes? We're going to see, like, Brittany led us in Thanksgiving today, (laughs) Do you hear, did you, did you sense when something shifted, when, we, when she went off, like you could feel that something happened. Come to me Second 2 Chronicles. I wasn't going to read it, but let's read it. Because I want, I want, I want to give context to what happened today. And I want us to see how powerful, how powerful thanksgiving and praise is and what happens. Because listen, the house of prayer, yes, it begins with ministering to the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. We experience personal revival because of the power of worship and intercession. And then the cities around us experience awakening. Yeah. So what we're doing in that room and in here, it's, yes, it starts with God. I want to bless you, but it spills out from that. 2 yeah. Chronicles chapter 5, um, verse, verse 11. Now, this is Solomon, his temple. He's about to dedicate it, and he keeps what David was doing. And so he says this, verse 11, it says, "And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests were present, all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, these same guys were the ones running with David for the last 33 years. Asaph, Heman, that's an awesome name, if you want to name your son that Heman. <laughs> and Jedothan, their sons and kinsmen. Arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres. It said they stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. Okay, so you, this temple's about to be dedicated. And you've got these uh, singers and musicians that are being called, these priests. Verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving. So this isn't a private devotional thing, although we do that. In unison, the priests came together and they began to offer up thanksgiving and praise. And look what happens. It says, uh, And when the song was raised, with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments...